The negotiations never took place. It's urgent that we make contact with the Republic. They've knocked out all our communications. Do you have transport? We begin the 20 with essentially the imminent capture of Queen Amidala. The Trade Federation has decided to overthrow the capital of Naboo, and the Viceroy and all the battle droids are taking her prisoner. Yeah, so they're taking her prisoner to essentially force her into signing uh, a trade agreement that will allow essentially the Trade Federation to own Naboo's supplies. Uh, and as a process, they're threatening to, to bring on war if she does not comply. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan and Jar Jar emerge in the bongo in like downtown Naboo where they lurk in the shadows until the opportune moment when uh, they thrust open their lightsabers and they rescue the good guys from the control of the battle droids and they board Amidala's ship and they make getaway for Tatooine. Yes, so they clean out a bunch more battle droids on their way to the ship. Uh, they free some pilots and then they take uh, the queen's ship to uh, to, to space. They realize that the only place they can go is Tatooine because they need to get somewhere nearby that isn't controlled by the Trade Federation. The Queen's people are not super on board with that because Tatooine is a sketchy AF place, and that's true, but they figure, look, this is a good place to hide in the meantime. They land in the absolute uh, desert wasteland after some uh, turmoil in the sky in which uh, the Trade Federation is uh, shooting at them. R2 saves the day and they're able to get away. As I said, they land in the desert and they are assigned one of the queen's handmaidens to go off into uh, into civilization with. So Qui-Gon, Padme, and Jar Jar venture into the city. Uh, they're walking along kind of the, the bazaar-style street. And Jar Jar, because he's an idiot, decides that he's going to steal from one of the vendors. Actually, no, this doesn't come quite yet. They run into... Uh, uh, a, a parts shop uh, because they a junk dealer because they need to be able to get some new parts to fix their ship. They try to strike up a deal that doesn't exactly go uh, particularly well. Uh, long story short, they meet a young boy named Anakin Skywalker. Yeah, so they meet Anakin Skywalker. He has some clear, obvious attraction to Padme, <laughs> who's there, even though he's nine, she's fourteen, but it works. For now. Sure. <laughs> uh, then we come back, and uh, when they realize they're not able to get a deal, uh, Qui-Gon reaches out uh, to Obi-Wan. They have some conversation, and then they go back out into the city where Jar Jar steals some food from a vendor and gets in a fight with a Doug. So really, they have to kind of get away from this marketplace where they're already kind of causing a scene and proving themselves to not really uh, be welcome uh, per the, the Tatooine lawless law. Uh, as luck would have it, a sandstorm is coming in anyway, and young boy Anakin decides to offer them shelter in his house where he lives with his mom. So Anakin brings them in. He shows Padme the droid that he built, and Padme is impressed because Anakin is the creator of C-3PO. Uh, we meet C-3PO. C-3PO meets R2-D2. That's one of those cool little moments. Uh, we do also pan at some point in this 20, uh, around this point, to uh, the Viceroy talking with Darth Sidious, oh, yeah. and Darth Sidious brings out Darth Maul for the first time, uh, really kind of showing this is the guy who I'm going to send because you guys can't get the job done. Meanwhile, our 20 wraps up with a transmission from CO Bibble to uh, the Amidala cruise ship where the captain and Obi-Wan are still hanging out. And it appears to be some kind of distress signal, but they don't exactly buy it. Yeah, the signal's saying that people are being slaughtered in Naboo, but Qui-Gon warned Obi-Wan that they would get a message like that into under no circumstances 
uh, send help. When the storm is over, I'll show you my racer. I'm building a pod racer. Of course, this, it's extraordinary that Anakin built 3PO, and he also alludes to having built a pod racer mm-hmm. in this 20 as well. We haven't seen that yet. And I mean, we can appreciate that Anakin's very bright for being only nine years old and looking only six or seven. Uh, but his mechanical prowess, his engineering know-how is a take back. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But it's not necessarily his age is the take back in my books. Of course. Because everything about him is fixed if he's 14 too. Yeah, it does. Absolutely. Literally everything. 14 is still young enough that you can get the innocence that George was going for. And it makes it a little less weird with Padme. It makes it a little bit more sensible that she would be remotely attracted to him in the next movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just, it makes more sense to have someone that can be a more developed character. I mean, why is this kid pod racing? And this is insanely dangerous. Why is this kid a mechanic and it is able to even understand? Even when he says, I'm a pilot, you know, and she's like, you're a pilot? Like, exactly what does that mean? At least when Luke says he's a pilot in A New Hope, there's this background that he went to the flight academy, whereas Anakin is just owned by... Luke didn't go to the flight academy. He wanted to go to the flight academy. Okay, but doesn't he claim to be a pretty good pilot? Yeah, he would shoot womp rats. Yeah, I I guess, but just in his speeder, that's not being a pilot. It's the Skywalker way. (laughs) And how does he know Biggs? Uh, how does he know Big? Well, they grew up together. Biggs went to the academy, and Luke wasn't, oh. and Luke wanted to. Okay, well, be that as it may, Luke has a little bit more justification for claiming to be a good pilot. Oh, he's than, nineteen. Than Anakin, sure. Other than the fact that Anakin apparently built and pilots his own pod racer, mm. but is that his only way of knowing he's a good pilot? That's not the same as flying something intergalactically. No, but I think that's what it's referring to, uh, and his instincts definitely do carry over. Uh, it's completely stupid, though. I, I, there's there's nothing really you can say. He should not be that uh, mechanically inclined. However, I did just finish Lords of the Sith, yeah. and I don't want to give anything away because I do highly recommend if anyone wants to read uh, a Star Wars book, and I, there's no point in not starting on this one. It's the kind of book where it takes place just after Revenge of the Sith. You can clearly link it to a movie, so it's not like going in, you'll be blind. It's not abstract. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, it's got three different kind of sides to the story, and two of those, uh, two characters in each kind of sides lead those arcs. You told me it's your favorite Star Wars book. It is my favorite Star Wars book I've nice. read thus far. Yeah, and so there's a lot on Vader and Palpatine. They're one of the, the story arcs, and it's what the whole real story is based around, is around uh, trying to assassinate them. Yeah, uh, But there's one really cool part in it where the Emperor tests Vader a little bit because he wants to see how much of his old life sticks with him. Mm-hmm. And he asks him to fix something. Oh. And Vader fixes it too. Like he completely fixes it. He that's fixes it in seconds, something that's been broken for decades, and he fixes it within just a couple minutes. Because that's, I think, something that's sort of lost in the classic Darth Vader character where he's Lord Vader and he just has all these people do things for him. Mm. Like, yeah, he slaughters bitches and he does fly his own TIE fighter from Mm -hmm. time to time, but he doesn't really do anything with his hands, Darth Vader, and I would have liked to see some more of that. Yeah, most Darth Vader just force chokes people with his hands. Yeah, he literally is hands off. Yeah, he doesn't even (laughs) need to be. (laughs) And to be fair, uh, C-3PO, I mean, there's lots of things you could say about C-3PO and the fact that he is a little bit different in almost every Star Wars movie is actually kind of a cool thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I also don't like that he's uh, CGI, because that's antithetical to what Star Wars is. Mm. However, the design of C-3PO 
as an origin in the Phantom Menace is super cool. He looks really cool. He looks very cool. They did a very good job of kind of aging him backwards in that way and really kind of seeing this is what would have been a step in the process of building a droid like this, and it makes sense that the armor would go on last. I beg your pardon, but what do you mean, naked? My parts are showing. His armor's really shitty quality in uh, Attack of the Clones. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so he finally gets his nice armor revenge. Anakin says he is building a protocol droid to help his mom. Exactly what would a protocol droid do for, like, uh, a Shmi Skywalker type? Oh, probably, like, house care. Uh, be able to like run their household while she's off working for Watto for no money. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Sure, and she stays not? with him. Uh, what do you mean? Well, when Anakin leaves, he leaves C-3PO behind. How do we get C-3PO back? I know that's coming. Well, when Anakin goes to slaughter the Tusken Raiders. Really? Yeah. I have no memory of that. I'm pretty sure that's when C-3PO uh, rejoins with Padme and uh, R2 and Anakin. Something we've got to say about Jake Lloyd. For all you might say about him, he's adorable. Mm-hmm. He's super cute in this movie, and he doesn't look nine years old. No. He's a terrible actor. Not really his fault. He's just a little kid, had a bad director. The dialogue is obviously atrocious. Mm-hmm. Uh, Are you an angel? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I, I As soon as I heard that, I was like, no, because I knew it was coming, and I hadn't heard it in years. <laughs> it's so bad. It is an abomination. Uh-huh. Are you an angel? What? An angel. I heard the deep space pilots talk about them. They're the most beautiful creatures in the universe. Trivia question for you. Sure. Where does he claim the angels are from? So he thinks. Uh, well, some deep space pilots have <laughs> seen them off the moons of Iego, I think. That's right, yeah. That's, what are deep space pilots? Just like uh, I think that would be pilots who are in the outer rim. Yeah, okay. But like... I understand that Tatooine, and certainly this is established early in A New Hope, it is a hub for people who are coming and going. Mm-hmm. But exactly why? Just because it's you can hide from the law? Well, yeah, it's a smuggler's paradise. I guess, yeah. Because it's like a trading outpost with no with no rules, really. Do we know anything about the geography of that as a planet? Like, is this particular community of Tatooine anywhere near Mos Eisley or Anchorhead? Okay, well, I'll give you one of my trivia questions, sure. Okay, great. What's the name of the city? <laughs> oh, God. Um, I had it as my night question. I'll give you my pad one after this one. I don't know, but I'm kind of scared that I'm going to say I don't know, and that you're going to say it, and I'm going to go, oh, damn, of course. You will. Like Thebes or something? Oh, that's a Greek thing. No, that's not it. What is it? Uh, Mos Espa. Mos es- no, that doesn't really ring a bell. No? What does most mean? Is that like Tatooineese for city or something? I, I don't know. Uh, but most Eisley and most Espa are right next to each other. Oh, interesting. Yeah. The, the way it's kind of like it's like a New Jersey, New York or like <laughs> Ontario, Quebec, right next to each other sort the of thing. city that never sleeps. So what happens on the rest of Tatooine? Is it just dunes and Tusken Raiders? Uh, I think it's a lot of... Huts, I guess. I think that's kind of the main point. It's a lot of wasteland. And a few small civilizations that are pretty sketchy. Right. Similar to what it would be like on Jakku. Right. Okay. Uh, there are like more ci- like cities and settlements uh, besides Mos Espa and Mos Eisley, but there's not really anything that would be different that would be happening there, probably. Something... It'd probably be the same run of uh, scum and villainy. There's something weird about how similar Tatooine and Jakku are. Like, I know that that's supposed to be the parallel. Mm. 
but they're a little too similar to be distinguishable, mm-hmm. especially in a world where the t- Tatooine doesn't even appear to exist anymore. Well, that's that's a shame because, uh, and this is something that's I'll bring up a little bit later. But the rumored Mos Eisley movie, um, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I'll just touch on this quickly at the moment. But there was—is it like Cheers, where everybody knows your name, but it's Mos Eisley? No, I mean it was talked about, and really no one knows what the the plot of it was. Some right. people think it was a ruse, that it was a cover up to say, "Oh no, no, like this is the movie," but they were really making Obi Wan. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people think that when they realized Boba Fett probably couldn't hold his own in a movie. They shifted it to be most icely based, and mm-hmm. it was like Jabba's, like kind of ring of guys, and like it would have had Han, and it would have had like Boba Fett. And so like, there's a bunch of different theories as to what it could have been. It has halted production, as rumors were a few a little while ago that all other potential Star Wars movies were halted until they figure out what to do on Episode Nine. Right. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of come out a little bit more because one of the set designers, who's a regular in the Star Wars family, mentioned about uh, how they were getting gearing things up for Tatooine again. For the I'm, the movie. I'm happy about that. Yeah, and so they I, haven't forgotten about it. And I'm excited for Tatooine to be in episode nine because it better be. Mm-hmm. A, th- a theory just came to me and I haven't fleshed this out and you're going to say no, fuck off. But just just indulge me for a second. Mm-hmm. What language do huts speak? Huttese? Uh, Huttonese. Huttonese. Yeah. What if Tatooine is Huttonese for Jakku? Oh, that's cool. What if they're the same fucking place and regionally are referred to as different things because it's so wasteland-esque? Uh, I, it's, it's not true, I don't think. But it's something that they could definitely fix because there is dis- there is a distinguishable Tatooine and a distinguishable Jakku. That is canon and yes. confirmed? Yeah, they're okay. both on the map and they're different places. Okay. However... I, th- I I think they could definitely make that work. I think that's something that I think that's a cool theory. If there's nothing in the movies that they couldn't override. There's some things in like the visual dictionaries, but they always override those. There's a ton of stuff from yeah, to suit the story in a better way. Yeah, and I mean generally, I I don't think this will is the case. I would be shocked. Because, no, I know it's I know it's kind of out there. It's just like well, the well, only re- the main reason why is because they really don't want to step on their own toes now. Right. And that means they would have intentionally created incorrect information in those visual dictionaries. Right. And also, why would Kylo Ren refer to it as Jakku? If yeah. His, if his beloved grandfather was from Tatooine. Yeah. It's, it's very likely not the same place. It's a cool theory, though. The reason why they wanted it is they wanted the familiarity, but at the same time, they probably didn't want people to immediately jump to her being a Skywalker. Um and this was not necessarily in the movie, but beforehand, potentially. So when everybody saw the deserts, people thought Tatooine. Quickly, it was, rele- it was revealed that it wasn't going to be Tatooine. I no, think there no. should have been something, some sort of like element of it that was a little bit different. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't, like, there seems to be more aliens on Tatooine. Um, I'm not quite sure, though. There, could, there should be something more distinguishable for Jakku. Versus I don't know, because Tat- Unkar plot is just another Watto. It just feels like too close yeah no it is super close and i know it's one of those parallel things but um yeah i think there should have been more of a like a landscape difference as well right okay we talked about 3po let's talk about r2 for a second who sure. has kind of a triumphant moment when he goes and rescues uses the ship and all the other uh astro droids kind of they're kind of blown off deck are they just like flying away from the pressure of space and r2 can hold on better no, or they get shot. shot off they get shot off okay so it's just kind of a miracle that r2 survives mm. Uh, the captain commends R2 as a very well-built droid. An extremely well-put-together little droid, Your Highness. Without a doubt, it saved the ship as well as our lives. 
It is to be commended. What is its number? R2-D2, your highness. Thank you, R2-D2. Which I mean, like, had he been shot, he wouldn't have... He would have blown away too, I assume. And then the queen, or the decoy queen, I guess it's it is... take back. Uh, she, uh... What was it? What's the take back? Well, finish what you're saying. The queen, uh commends and thanks the droid which i think is stupid you don't thank a droid for doing what it was built to do Mm -hmm. that's very stupid that is stupid the main reason why that's dumb is two other reasons okay no way in the world is the queen going to get the sorry is the fake queen going to get the real queen to clean the droid that was another question i had two other actual handmaids yeah don't just like how come decoy gets to boss around padme yeah that's not how it works that's stupid padme clean this droid up as best you can it deserves our gratitude. I mean, unless it's to throw people off, because it's not exactly clear who knows. Like, I think the captain, what's his name? Panaka? I think Panaka knows. Yeah. When he brings Padme even... out into the desert and he's like, the queen wants this, I think he knows. Maybe. I don't know. That's a good point. Uh, he seems to be pretty right hand for her, so it wouldn't yeah. surprise me. The, no, the other reason why that's a take back is because uh, she says, what's his number? And he says, R2-D2. Right. Which isn't how it works. Okay. So R2 in english spelling and i know this this was what makes it always so weird is like you spell r2 a r t o o okay you don't spell it r2 they're not actually digits it's his name yeah okay because that's not how the alphabet works in star wars right so there are there is no r or 2 in that same sort of way right they're not represented in that same like digits so c3po is like S-E-E-T-H-R-E-E-P-I-O. So. You see 3PO written as words pretty often. I've you never seen the C part. You almost never see that as the front part. Usually they'll just spell 3PO yeah. or spell R2. Right. They rarely will spell R2-D2 as the phonetic one. Yeah. Or C-3PO as the phonetic one. They use the, bre- the abbreviations for those. Now, when Captain Panaka says he's an extremely well-built droid, little droid, I think he says condescendingly, for a brief second, and only for that second, but for a brief second, I kind of wanted an R2 origin story. Like, I want to know, like, what assembly line put him together? What is significant about his construction? Why is he so much better, mechanically speaking? Uh, I don't know. That's, R2, I think that would be cool. R2 like is, as, is as close to having the force as a droid could be, first of all. Oh, totally. Um, but why? Like, what is special about him? Is it just that he is essential to the force and so they utilize a really well-built droid who happens to have been out there or is there something in the factory where somebody freaking jailbroke him and they made him really hardcore they like booted up his ram uh i think there's definitely some things anakin did to r2 mm-hmm. uh because they also like they take out his rocket boosters they, after he, revenge he hacked of the him Sith. well after revenge of the sith they really downgrades r2's war capabilities yes um so I'm, my guess is Anakin beefs him up between The Phantom Menace and like Revenge of the Sith, where mm-hmm. he really st- stacks the deck on R2 and like sure. just puts those extra bells and whistles. I think there's potential there. Uh, I think, yeah, like you said, I mean, who knows? Maybe someone built R2 that way. I think the best part is that R2 is just... Uh, he's got this little attitude, and he's kind of a, just a take-no-prisoners badass. Uh, yes. R2 and 3PO are kind of like based on that old storytelling trope of the two kind of narrators who are part of the story, the jesters, sort of. Right. And that's just what R2-D2 is. He's just a character you just can't kill. Oh, no, I same, don't like, think Same so. with, like, the 3PO and R2. They're, like, 
So no matter, that's why I think that's the main reason why, because R2 is an astromach droid and you can never kill him. He's doing these amazing things, whereas 3PO is never in a scenario to do anything amazing. I'm not sure they won't kill 3PO. I, and I actually think they could make that pretty sad. I think they could too. Yeah. Uh, and Anthony Daniels isn't going to be around forever. Like they can always do R2. That's easy. Yeah. No, it'd be interesting. I'd be, I would prefer if they didn't kill 3PO. We've had two droid deaths in the last two, not the last two Star Wars movies, but uh, between Rogue One and Solo. And one of them was really like melodramatic and the other one was devastating. Mm-hmm. They can do it. Oh, yeah, it would be absolutely devastating, and it would be a huge thing. I just, I don't think that's in keeping with Star Wars. Okay. I think George Lucas would, if he saw that, would be like, oh, fuck this, and yeah. leave the theater. He would have a problem with that, probably. Yeah. Watto. You had mentioned last week that Watto is actually based on some uh, less than savory stuff that they shouldn't really be making yeah. light of. Um, not, it's not super clear, and so some of the stuff that I read, it doesn't necessarily follow up as much, but... Like the reason why he flies around is because he his legs don't work. Oh, okay. Uh, he's he's disabled in that regard. And also because he can fly around. Yeah, and he has like, like he slurs his speech, and uh, he there are a couple things he does that are just it it just doesn't play right. Okay. I don't really want to chat about it a whole lot because it's not something to really chat about. Okay. Uh, but it's there's a couple little things that you can pick up on. And you're like, oh, that's a little quirk that. Maybe a certain group could find offensive. All right. Yeah. Fair enough. I actually thought that the design of Watto is pretty good because... Toydarians are cool. One of the big... Yeah, one of the one of the big um, criticisms of the Star Wars prequels is that they lean too hard on the CGI. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was during a time where that was still kind of experimental. Mm. Uh, the nice thing about Watto is that obviously he's CGI, but he really looks like a practical effects Star Wars alien. Yeah, he's excellent in that regard. So and he kind of meets. Well, and that's the thing. And like even like the battle droids, I mentioned those last week as being something that haven't aged well. Well, they age extremely well when you destroy them. Yeah. So when they're chopping them in half, super realistic. And so it's interesting. It's just the, the concept of them. I think battle droids from a distance and not engaged with anything looks super fake right battle droids that are up close being chopped in half they do a pretty good job those look pretty realistic as if they're robots battle droid take back when qui-gon is trying to convince them to let Uh. them take them out and he's like where are you going qui-gon's like coruscant and he's like coruscant uh wait uh that doesn't compute uh wait you're under arrest terrible terrible line god they're such idiots i did find that a little bit funny um the conversation they had right before it, though. Mm-hmm. I'm ambassador to the Supreme Chancellor. I'm taking these people to Coruscant. Where are you taking them? To Coruscant. To Coruscant. To Coruscant. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a funny thing because that's the sort of thing that doesn't happen in Star Wars. No, but it happens but with, in computers. It happens in computers all the it time. It happens with Siri. Exactly, and that's yeah. why I really liked it. <laughs> yeah. Because, because it was like, oh, wow, there's a technical problem. It actually ages pretty well. Yeah, because it makes sense. I was thinking with the really high amount of lightsaber action in this movie, like people mm. are just whipping out their lightsabers and uh, slaughtering, uh, not slaughtering, but like destroying battle droids willy-nilly. Mm. Imagine had they been soldiers and not battle droids. This movie would have been brutal. But yeah, I think that's part of the reason why George Lucas made the battle droids. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, there's a lot of reasons as to why he didn't make them stormtroopers and he did a great job on the origins of stormtroopers could not like that's incredible what lucas did with that right absolutely loved it um so yeah i, I think it's interesting and it's a good thing the battle droids take a bit of a backseat after this movie what is so special about toydarians toydarians 
What is so special about them that they can uh, reflect, they can deflect por- force persuasion? Uh, a lot of species can. I it's, know. It's just the weak mind. He seems to say that it's because he's a Toydarian. Like, look, I'm the special thing that can't do that. And that kind of throws off Qui-Gon. Yeah, they're, they're, that's, they're not the only species. Uh, Jabba the Hutt, like, true. that's another example. So I think that kind of plays well on the notion of force persuasion not necessarily being very easy, being something that's pretty hard to get down. Uh, it also just goes to show you how stupid Boss Nass is, though. Yeah, and he's the ruler of a kingdom. <laughs> Although our most well, famous Gungan is not the brightest. Yeah, they're not the brightest of species. It seems that way. And we're going to see some really stupid Gungan stuff later. Should talk about Anakin Skywalker a little bit. We should probably talk about Anakin Skywalker. I want to give you my uh, Padawan question though first, okay. and then you give me your Night one. Okay. Uh, this is one that I think you can get. What is the name of the capital city of Naboo? Um, crap. It's another one that I'm gonna know when mm-hmm. I hear it. I don't know. You almost got it right when naming the city that when I said Anakin's Thebes? From, yeah. Feed, Threed, Thebe. Thebe. Oh, sorry, Theed. Theed. See, I knew it was something like that. Yeah, you, you were saying Thebe. I was... Theed yeah, is the right answer. Yeah. By the way, the streets of Naboo, beautiful. Yeah. Italy. Like, it's shot in Italy. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously like Venice or something. Yeah, there are some big statues that are super fake looking, though. Yeah, sure. There's an amazing shot at the beginning of the 20 where With Queen Amidala, Queen. who I'm pretty sure is Natalie Portman, is in the classic Queen Amidala getup, the red robe, mm. and she's looking at the window, and it's like JFK looking at the window, and it's just a really, really amazing shot. I'm not sure who shot it. Yeah, it is an excellent shot, and I think it is Kira Knightley, though. Really? Yeah. For... I don't think. I don't think that Kira Knightley ever wears that red garb. Well, Natalie Portman wouldn't have had time to get in and out of those clothes based on what we see her in i know but they're weird about it no they look the same like literally kira knightley's mom came on set Mm -hmm. and couldn't figure out which one was her daughter when they were both in the makeup it's funny you say that because i really noticed in this 20 uh because i I was a kid and i didn't really know know the difference at all Mm -hmm. um i and and especially since they modulate the voice to make them sound the same that was very confusing Mm -hmm. now that they're both such famous people I, i i couldn't have an easier time telling them apart yeah but it's a li- it's a little harder when you consider the fact that you would never think that when one of them's fully in makeup. Yes. And when you put them both in makeup, they look so similar that it's very easy that you could change the actor within the movie and people not pay attention. And neither of them were famous. No. So, so people weren't looking out for it. No. And Akira Knightley was, I think, only 12. Even. Although you could probably do your research between reading books that came up before the movie and watching the trailer and conclude that Natalie Portman was playing the queen. Mm-hmm. And then here she is. There's as... a whole. You could find out the Qui Gon died. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I found out the Qui Gon died. Some some kid at school in elementary had like a storybook version of the Phantom Menace before I saw the movie. Yeah. And there was like Qui Gon in the clouds at the end of it. And I well, was like, what the hell? There you go. Because he had that book, and before you saw the Phantom Menace, means it was before it came out. Do we see it on opening opening day? Pretty damn quick. Yeah, uh, all of those dad did a great job of uh, getting us to the theater within the first couple days. I feel like spoilers are a new world thing. Uh, well, definitely more so. Uh, the only real spoilers that existed before were like the asshole in your class who would come in and say what happened. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, when you're kids, at least. I feel like Survivor kind of created spoilers. So that was certainly spoilers in our lives. Yeah. I don't think they created spoilers by any means. No, but like people but... watched Dallas when it was on. There was no like watching it later. Oh, I'm not on that episode yet. Okay, that's a good point. I don't know. Maybe. 
Maybe really because also the end of each episode had such a, re- like, there was always a reveal at the end of the episode who was right. voted off the island. Right. Yeah, that might have been. Now, I said last week that they didn't make enough of the reveal of Queen Amidala, who's this great mysterious character who everybody's wondered about through 20 years at this point. They just kind of revealed Queen Amidala. Yeah. Uh, same with Anakin, who's yeah. like the mo- the focal point of the prequels. It's just this little kid runs out of nowhere. Oh, this is Anakin Skywalker. The only character introduction they've made a meal out of in this movie is C-3PO for some reason. Mm-hmm. And they actually have like a sweet moment where he's like, well, I am C-3PO. And well, you're so like, R2 oh. has a bit of a moment too. Yeah, I guess. You only see him a couple seconds before that when he like zaps Jar Jar to get the hell out of his way. And maybe it's because they look the same as all the other characters. I mean, sort of. Close enough. Like the other, they're the only returning actors. Mm. Uh, but well, they, I just feel like they didn't make enough out of Anakin. Yeah, well, I mean, you could also say the same thing. They didn't make a whole lot about Obi Wan. Obi Wan was in the first couple of shots, but I don't totally. think that was really what George Lucas was going for. I think he wanted like, and with everything with Star Wars, you just kind of want to like you're going to pick up as it goes, and you're going to figure out who these people are and what their story is. I think the definition of making a meal out of a character coming back is Luke Skywalker turning around at the end of The Force Awakens. That's like where the, where the, the music amps up and yeah. then the movie fucking George Lucas ends. didn't do that. No, but it's good. And yeah, it might be campy, but it's no, it's essential. Yeah, it is essential in filmmaking now, but it wasn't then. And I guess like, things have really changed. Yeah, they really have. And I, it wouldn't, the character reveal is obviously like pretty weak in the Anakin front, but like at that age, there's not a whole lot you can do. Yeah. Like, how are you supposed to make like, the entrance of the nine-year-old impressive? Or the entrance of someone who doesn't have or doesn't realize they have the force yet? You mentioned that the solution for Jake Lloyd was to hire an actor who's 14, like Natalie Portman. Or 12. Who, by even. the way, was Natalie Portman 14? Because she looks way older than that. Uh, character's 14, of Padme. Uh, Natalie Portman was in high school. Uh, I think she was maybe 16. She looks 19. Yeah. She was. Uh, I she don't... couldn't go to the premiere of The Phantom Menace because she had an exam. Huh. And then she went to Harvard. Yeah. they. I don't know if 14 is the right age. I think they both could have been 17. Uh, yeah, I definitely think they both could have been older. I don't think Anakin... Well, I mean... The only, could... the only important thing about the casting is that he's too old. Mm-hmm. So really, there's no age that's going to be a problem unless he's too young, yeah. which he fucking is. <laughs> the only problem with that is like the clear time jump between one and two... It's good. It's nice to be able to kind of show that transition. I think you should be able to see some flashes of Anakin's anger yeah. in the first movie. Right. But to a much smaller extent. And so that's why I would be worried. If yeah, you wouldn't see any anger in Anakin. No, but movie. what I mean is if you if he's 17, you're going to be able to see it full force. True. You, but if, yeah, absolutely. He's going to be an absolute... Like He's going to be what he was in episode two, but even whinier. Yeah. And yeah, so, that's true. Like, if you bring him a little bit younger, it can kind of work, whereas you don't have to focus on the angst, right. and you can make it a little bit more, he, he's a kid, and don't think about the fact that he's going through puberty at this age. Think about the fact that he's still got his innocence, and it's slightly slipping away from him throughout this movie, yeah. and as the end of the movie comes, he's lost his innocence, and he's now become a Jedi. I actually think it totally works that she's five years older than him and he's got this obvious crush on her. Oh, because like a... it's not really that reciprocal in this movie. She's kind of like older than him and she's indulging him and talking to him like he's a little kid and he's like clearly got his first crush on this pretty girl. Mm. And then in the next movie, there's this big moment where she can't believe how grown up he looks. And then she starts to develop feelings for him. I actually think that kind of works pretty well. Yeah, I think it would maybe make more sense if she was like two or three years older. Uh, yeah, you can still make that not creepy, but 
14 and 19. It does not pass the half your age plus seven rule. <laughs> yeah, but she doesn't. I, I guess. Yeah, I guess. I mean, years are a weird thing in Star Wars. Yeah. No, exactly. Qui-Gon's like 60 here. A couple of quotes. The I don't Jar- have many. The only Jar Jar quote I wrote down was, hello, boyos, which actually <laughs> makes me laugh. Just because it's an easy one that we can remember for all these years later. I do uh, have one great one from Newt Gunray. Okay. Me too. This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. <laughs> well, that's which is a loaded line. Like that's that's fabulous because that's setting up this rule, rule of two. rule of two thing. Yeah. And we know leading into this movie that Darth Vader as a Sith Lord had a master. So there is a master apprentice thing mm-hmm. there. But this really illustrates that. By the way, this dude always has an apprentice, mm-hmm. and this guy is scary looking. But what happens if this younger scary looking guy? Mm-hmm. Let's watch on. Yeah. So uh, the other thing that's interesting that Nuke Gunray said, it might have been the other guy, uh, my lord, it is impossible to locate the ship. It's out of my range. And Sidious says, oh, I don't remember what he says. What did he say? Not for a Sith. Ah, not for a Sith. Which might be a good episode title. Eh. Not for a Sith stands out to me. Oh, no. You know what the episode title is? What? Fucking yippee. Yippee! It is. I actually thought because the most standout one being Are You an Angel? Because it's such a I stupid guess. line. It's not as iconic as Yippee. No, Yippee, Are You an Angel? Uh, now There Are Two of Them is becoming a big Reddit meme. Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Um, I do also have as one other line here is Qui-Gon's line. Uh, Moisture farms, for the most part. Some indigenous tribes and scavengers. A few spaceports like this one are havens for those who don't wish to be found. It's a good description to Tatooine. Yeah. What's Qui-Gon's background with Tatooine? He seems to know it pretty well. That's a really good point. Uh, it'd be interesting if maybe in the book Master and Apprentice they went there. The only other quote I wrote down uh, is actually, it's a it's a Anakin Skywalker quote. It's one of his only good quotes. It's in response to Padme when she says, you're a slave. He says, I'm a person and my name is Anakin. And he delivers it really well. He does. And the line is good. And it's a rare moment from him. Yeah. No, that's that's true. I didn't really think about it in that way, but it is actually, it's well delivered. It's exactly how a kid would say that line. Yeah. It's very much like, and it's true. It's, it's a dehumanizing thing that she says to him. Yeah. And uh, no, it's, it's really interesting. His slave background, they do a phenomenal job in really digging into uh, in the Clone Wars as well. Mm-hmm. And just like when that's brought up, when slaves are in question, yeah, I'd the like way to see... that he's very different. I don't. I, I want to say I'd like to see, but I think it would be richer if he showed some signs of a little more post-traumatic stress, mm-hmm. or just like these little. Maybe he has some social quirks that are weird because he was he was enslaved as a boy. Like, isn't that kind of? I mean, I guess he does have those social quirks. He does he's have some weird. social quirks for sure, yeah. but he's he's definitely more. Uh, I don't know. In Attack of the Clones, I would think that guy would have some trouble fitting in. And yeah. he always has trouble fitting in with the Jedi Council. Right. Because he's this incredibly powerful, young, rage-filled kid. Yeah. And they're, just, they're all kind of afraid of him, and for good reason. Night question for you. Who purchased Anakin and his mother when he was three? Gardula the Hutt. Who's Gardula the Hutt? Uh, I think it's Jabba's sister. Yeah, clearly female, but they don't really explain any of that. Uh, sister or mother. Yeah. Uh, some, somewhere in there. Still in the family relation. Probably probably mother, right? Yeah, I'm not sure. It's a good question, though. That's uh, kind of interesting. It's cool that they bring up another hut. Uh, they had already brought the huts are gangsters up at that point. Yeah, and there also is a rumor that potentially the huts are going to be coming back for episode nine. 
I'd like to see some of that. Yeah, it'd be very Return of the Jedi, and JJ would get a lot of shit for that. But there is true, and there is, but there is some guess. Some people believe the character who is one of the worst characters in Star Wars history, uh, because the Clone Wars movie, the atrocious Clone Wars cartoon movie, which I've never seen. Yeah, it's based around uh, the kidnapping of Jabba's son. That's what the movie's about. Yeah, we'll watch it for the podcast someday. Yeah, and it uh, <laughs> Road to the Hut is this little slug. It's like this disgusting. It's called. They call it stinky as its nickname. <laughs> like, but anyway, that potentially Road of the Hut uh, is now the leader of the the Hut Empire on Tatooine, and that they might bring that character back. Well, it stands to reason there are other huts out there, other than the murder of Jabba the Hut. There's nothing to indicate that they were eradicated. Yeah, like I think the rumor I saw was that uh, Poe would be rescuing Finn from. A bad situation he caught in with Jabba. You're right, though. You don't want to get too close to Return of the Jedi. Exactly. That's Especially, why I got a little worried. Like that's kind of, that's an exciting, fun part of that movie, but it also teeters on preposterous at times. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Which we've talked about not that long ago. Yeah, not long ago at all. I have uh, four nominees for what won the twenty. Okay. The Naboo waterfront. Okay. So when the bongo emerges in that little, I, I think it's probably like a Venetian tide. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just beautiful. The yeah, colors really are is. great. You never see colors like that. In Not Star in Star Wars. Wars. Uh, the Queen's ship, which is made of fucking mirrors. Mm-hmm. I love that ship. I always did. It looks yeah. like a sports car. It is awesome. Yeah. It is so cool. Couldn't agree more. Uh, C-3PO's design, which I mentioned before. I think he looks great. Mm-hmm. And Qui-Gon's poncho. <laughs> I think he looks like Clint Eastwood in that poncho. And just in general, the character of Qui-Gon Jinn looks amazing. Sure, the, yeah. the acting is great and everything, and the character is like an interesting, fascinating person. Uh, he looks awesome. His hair looks cool. Yeah. His poncho looks cool. Uh, seldom does a very famous actor, an Academy Award winning, at least nominated actor. Yeah, I think so, he's won. Uh, for Schindler? Maybe, I don't know. Something thereabouts. At least nominated. If he hasn't won, then he should have won. Very seldom does such a well-known actor so disappear in a pulpy character. Yeah, he really does a phenomenal job of that. Yeah. And like when you see Love Actually, when you see Liam Neeson in that movie, you're like, I guess that's Qui-Gon. Well, it's cool because I saw a picture on Reddit just the other day, and it was kind of like a family photo of the Phantom Menace cast. Okay. Uh, like they went to like a Walmart photo booth or something. I've and seen got that like photo. family photos. Where Jake Lloyd's got a black turtleneck on. Yeah, and he yeah. looks like super creepy. Yeah. And He's already really pissed in it. Yeah, Natalie Portman <laughs> is in it. And then there's Ewan McGregor, who's got really long, greasy hair. Yeah. And then there's Liam Neeson looking nothing like Qui-Gon. No, it's really hard to picture. It's really weird because he's got a clean-shaved face and he's got short hair, and it's like, man, you did disappear into that role completely. Yeah. Qui-Gon was such an awesome character. Such an awesome character, and I don't know what more we can do with him. Uh, Maybe we could do some kind of Force Ghost action if we ever got that uh, elusive Kenobi movie. Maybe we could do a younger Qui-Gon movie. That would be more interesting than a solo movie. Oh my god, yes, it would be more interesting than a solo movie. But... I I also don't know that I want them to overdevelop Qui-Gon because, like, he's, he's like freaks and geeks, you know? Like, he's just this thing that there wasn't much of, and thus he's pretty perfect. Yeah, that's definitely true. I think books are a good avenue to explore more yeah. with him. Uh, I think if he's in the Obi-Wan movie as a voice or a ghost, I think that's excellent. Uh, I'm good with either of those. Uh, it's I, I do agree with you, though. It would be risky... To, to give us too much on Qui-Gon because yeah. we don't know a whole lot about him. So if 
they don't necessarily take his character in the direction that people want. People won't necessarily like that. I think you can do a better job depicting that same Qui-Gon that we saw if you do it in a book. Yeah. Um, or comics of sort of some sort. And didn't you tell me that there is a Qui-Gon book on the way? Uh, well, yeah, Ma- Master and Apprentice. Right. Uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. So I'm super excited about that one. Yeah. Yeah, it comes out in like March or something, February or March. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, I have been reading Thrawn, though, because I want to make sure that I can get to Thrawn Alliances. One of the uh, better known EU, not EU, but like... Well, he was an EU character. Yeah. He, Heir to the Empire was kind of his introduction by Timothy Zahn. That book stands out on the shelf, though. This blue Star Wars looking alien on yep. a white book. It like It's something that draws your attention. Well, that, that book in particular is the canon reintroduction of Thrawn. Okay. So it's Thrawn's new beginning in canon. Yeah. They changed the character a little bit, changed some timeline things around, and that's the book that I'm reading. Uh, I'm about four or five hours into the audiobook, 17 hours long. Uh, It's crazy good. Oh, cool. It's so good. Thrawn is, like, I saw him in Rebels, and he's great in Rebels. So much better in the book, though. Nice. Oh, my God. There was just a chapter reading. um, It's the first instance where you get to see him be a tactician from his point of view Mm -hmm. where you get to like literally like a strategist yeah where you literally will hear like him describing his own thought process and like what he says in conversation and the way he's specifically chosen how to address certain opponents it's just incredible the strategic mind Mm -hmm. that he has and as much as i've appreciated that in the character before i've found an incredible new level of appreciation he is truly one of the best characters in Star Wars. Nice. They got to develop that. Yeah, I mean, like he was awesome before, but I am so excited that I have 30 more hours of Thrawn books. Yeah, bingo. <laughs> and there's going to be a third in the trilogy. Anything so. else from this 20 of The Phantom Menace? Anything else that stands out to you? Uh, a couple ones. Uh, I don't think I... Uh, did I ask you all my questions either? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, what is the name of the Queen's ship? I wish I knew. I hope it. I hope it really lives up to, lives up to the ship because it's just so great. And it's, a, it's a Nubian. Nubian? No, that sucks. I don't like that. It <laughs> deserves. Sp- it deserves a better name. The specific model type is the J Type three twenty seven Nubian. Why can't they give it a like a badass name? Like, there's no better ship name than Millennium Falcon. That's such a shame. I don't know. Nubian is a fine name. Okay, oh, it's a Nubian. Okay, but like you know, in no, it's it's very Star Warsy sounding, but it's very dorky. Yeah. It's very Gungan sounding. Like you well, know, well, that's appropriate. No, but like you know, the, it's from Naboo. The the uh, the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. The two ships are the Dauntless and the Flying Dutchman. Yeah, those are great ship names. Those are great ship names. This ship needs a name like that. Yeah, I don't know. It's not the nec- Millennium Falcon. I don't know. It's it, there. There aren't that many custom ships. I guess Millennium Falcon is a name of the ship. I guess it's technically a military ship, so it wouldn't really have a flashy name, would it? Yeah, because I mean, the Millennium Falcon is a freighter, and yeah. it has its freighter name. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's like a sports car name. It's like some teenager who calls his car the Silver Bullet. It's yeah. Just like some dirtbag name, yeah. but it happens to sound cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of things like that in Star Wars where they have like a like a. A, a tactical name, right? And then what it's called, right? Even you can use that for Tuscan Raiders and Sand People, even, right? They do, it, they do it across the board. Yes, okay. And I know that's a, that's <laughs> that one's problematic. We've chatted about how that sounds racist, right? Uh, the Maz Kanata statue in Anakin's room. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little wooden statue of Maz Kanata in Anakin's room. 
How? And come on. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't look 100% like her, but it is very clearly where they based part of the character off of. So they just happen to have this little this little tchotchke in the background, and they're like, oh, let's use that? I guess. So what is her significance to Anakin Skywalker as a boy? Who knows? And is it her specifically, or is it just another of her creatures? It does not necessarily indicate that it's her specifically. But also, she's the pirate queen. She's over a thousand years old. She would have a pretty big reputation in the galaxy. It would not be unreasonable for a slave to idolize her. I guess. As kind of like this unsung hero of the people. Yeah. Uh, there's Maybe that's the reason behind it. Uh, but there's also potentially more lore as to how did she get that lightsaber. Yeah, I got to see that. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, when you look at it, she's a little bit like less squat than Maz Kanata. Okay. But other than that, it's spitting image, clearly the same character. All right. Yeah. Uh, Quinlan Voss. Yep. Uh, the yellow striped face guy who you see in the background when Jar Jar's getting beaten up by Sebulba. Right. Uh, he's a character that they expanded on a lot. Uh, they did a little bit on the Clone Wars, uh, and there was a book, Dark Disciple, which is based off of a Clone Wars arc that was never made. And it was actually the first canon book I ever read, and it was exceptional. I remember you talking about Gwendolyn yeah, Voss. It, yeah, it's an awesome, awesome character, awesome, awesome book. Uh, and I think it's cool that they just had a really cool design of a character yeah. in the background. And we're like, you know what? Let's let's use that design again. And, this uh, was too well done to waste. Yeah, and let's make it into a real full-fledged character. Is that the guy? Well, Quinlan Voss was known as kind of a spy. Okay. He did a lot of undercover work. Yep. And that's what Dark Disciples is about as well. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's uh, it's very reasonable that it would be him doing undercover work on Tatooine. Cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, from the looks of things, that's kind of all I have for this episode. There wasn't a whole lot. Uh, they cut back a lot, so there wasn't tons of dialogue. It was a lot of action and cutting between scenes. On the contrary, I really think they progressed a lot in this 20 yet again. Like, I couldn't yeah. believe. We're at, like... Wait like, till the next 20, and the well, one after that. Seriously, but maybe this whole movie, like, does... Like you said last week, the pacing is pretty good. Like, they were on Tatooine within a couple of minutes of this 20, mm-hmm. which means they were on Tatooine in the first half hour of the movie. Yeah, that's, and that's the, wild. Yeah, the pacing is is good, and it's it's still pretty good in, in this 20, but you're going to see in the next one that we have 20 minutes that lead up right to the start of the pod race. The pod race itself has a runtime of nine and a half minutes, or like nine minutes. Yeah. So the next 30 minutes of movie are prepping for the pod race and the pod race. Okay. That's really going to fuck up all of the goodwill you got on pacing. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, and then after that, I, I I don't know. Maybe the end of it is kind of okay. There's some weird pacing towards the end. Uh, but yeah, you're right. The first 40 minutes is not so bad. The only unfamiliar character, the, sorry, the only familiar character up to this point that we haven't been reintroduced to is Yoda. That will be reintroduced into this movie. Yes. Uh, I believe. I guess so. Um. Yeah, I can't think of anybody else. They kind of choked them all out pretty early. They do, yeah. They mention Master Yoda almost immediately in the movie. Yep. Master Yoda told me to be mindful of this. Which is fine. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But It's just kind of, actually, actually, it's important because up to that point, we thought Yoda was Obi-Wan's only master. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of important that they're like, oh, by the way, this is what's up. Yeah, Yoda's the master for all of them. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know, though, and it also, that's a really good point. They 100% should have saved some characters. I think so. For attack or revenge. Yeah. Uh, the same way that we're getting Lando now in nine. Yeah, uh, I think that would have made sense. I think that would have been smart to not give it everything up in the first movie, and you don't need to. Anakin and Obi Wan, obviously, but they could have saved Yoda until the next movie, maybe. Well, like weirdly, people use the term fan service as a criticism. Yeah, in, I don't get in, that. 
but there's not a lot of fan service in these movies. He's doing he's it's George service, mm-hmm. and that's and that's exactly why people didn't like it, right? Uh, and yeah, there are some serious flaws in these movies, but it's such a shame because they're so close to perfect. Yeah, no, there's you're right. They wouldn't like a good a good uh, script doctor would have fixed these movies. A script a yeah, a good script doctor and somebody who could just keep George keep him a little bit closer to reality someone a director that he could trust it's a shame and it's close and you see like even like in this first 40 minutes like there's so much that this movie could have built to yep and the way it ends and like the way certain things are done it's just it's an eye roll also not enough credit is paid to the cinematography of the prequels there's been some beautiful shots in this the world building is like Dumbfounding, yeah. and in Attack of the Clones, it gets even better I mean, with Camino and Geonosis. Totally, uh, Geonosis almost should have been more what um, Jakku would have been like. I agree. Uh, yeah, maybe, and which is also a little just a subtle visual difference. Well, and then there's also what's it called uh, in Rogue One, Jetta. Yeah, and yeah. Jetta's kind of like an in between of Geonosis and Tatooine. Right. It's got it's more of like a rockier Tatooine with a little less sand. Some meadow on it, though. I think. Right. Uh, is that right? meadow there's like some grass on it or am i thinking of something else uh, i'm trying to think if there are is there any grassy parts of jetta yeah i can't remember i haven't seen uh that part of rogue one in a while when i usually watch rogue one i just watch the end sure <laughs> <laughs> anything in the news this week uh there isn't tons nope. uh there is one thing and i uh the resistance podcast which is a good podcast i've only been listening to it uh recently the last little while i didn't re- listen to it this week but their little thumbnail got me thinking about something and the topic of the the episode was about what's done like what will ray do with luke's lightsaber or like luke's lightsaber, anakin's lightsaber the lightsaber the graflex yeah uh and will she use that kyber crystal will she find her own and there's one thing i noticed is and maybe they talk about it in there as well is that the kyber crystal very clearly breaks in half yes which perfectly leads to a double-bladed lightsaber yes so yes why not it does. It's already done right there for you. You can clearly see the crystal broken in half. People discover that like early on in The Force Awakens, this this character appears to be built for having a double-bladed lightsaber. Yeah, I mean, it's just a lot of it works on that. And yeah. uh, I mean, with that giant staff, it just makes sense for the fighting style. Imagine that, a double-bladed blue going up against Kylo Ren's. Yes. That would be so fucking that cool. That would look amazing. Yeah. Of course. And Star Wars needs to give the fans a lot of lightsabers in episode nine right and i have no problem with the scarcity of it in, in seven and eight i think they've done it well yep they've been but okay they need to amp it up for nine also other than a slight subtle glow we have never seen a green blade in this new trilogy uh and we don't we don't see the blade in the last jedi i don't believe so we just it's just the flashback where luke is considering killing his nephew and we just see the green hue i think we do see the blade because we see him cross sabers because remember we ben in one of the in one of the three uh what's that called in like the there's a there's a movie term there's a technical like movie term when they show something from three different perspectives or something oh okay i don't know uh but anyway so within that uh when he does in one of the scenarios ben does cross lightsabers with luke when Luke's maybe like i'm a wrong. crazy person i'm struggling to think when of he's it, got but... like that dark eyes around his face yeah. um but also i, I want to hear more about like the transformation of that lightsaber yeah something something's missing in that story too Be- where is it now well i wasn't so much referring to that i meant kylos 
because mm-hmm. it's very clearly the same lightsaber. His blue is the same as his red lightsaber. Yeah. Okay. It's just when he uh, bled his crystal, it like exploded, and they needed to make vents on the side. It's a hack job now. Yeah. So it would be, like I'm really hoping that after episode nine, they start to do some some novels. Uh, so that because obviously they can't do it now without revealing information, but I really like there to be some novels around Kylo Ren and really getting to understand more about about him. But yeah, that green lightsaber—it's interesting to see. I did feel that Qui Gon's green in this movie actually was a little muted. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, I didn't think it was as bright as it, as it should have been. Uh, we got a great shot of that uh, of that hilt on Qui Gon's belt mm-hmm. in this twenty. We get an even better shot at the end of the movie. Yeah, uh, when Obi Wan is uh, using the force to grab it mm-hmm. yeah because i just i watched the whole movie when i went through it as well uh and it's interesting to be able to see some of the parts that are used to make the lightsaber oh yeah like i can like the thumb screw that's used for the button yeah so, like the button doesn't push you can clearly tell that it, it does it's not an actual button that's interesting yeah it's always been kind of a silly button to me a big red button oh i always liked those i preferred them to the activation switches really in the original trilogy okay. that was one thing that they did such a terrible job on in the original trilogy is as much as i love the look of both Vader and the Graflex, and even Luke's lightsaber. All the lightsabers in the original trilogy are cool as hell looking, but they were painful for yeah. the actors. Like, yeah. The actors would cut their hands I think, up on those things. Because I think they're they, only cool looking in hindsight, though. I don't think they were like, I don't think they're objectively sleek looking. No, well, Luke's is objectively sleek. I like the Graflex and Vader's ones because I think it fits the character really well of Anakin. Yeah. Because it's a power weapon. Like, it's something that, it's not something you're going to be doing the fancy maneuvers with. It's right. something you can strike with force. Right. It's a thick, gripped handle. So I think it works cool for him, but none of them were ergonomically designed at all. What else you got? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, we chatted a little bit about the most Eisley movie. Uh, a little bit more about the Resistance TV show. Oh, the trailer came out. Uh, yeah, the trailer came out. So let's chat a little bit about that. I was pretty disappointed with the coloration of it. The We've talked a little bit about how we heard that the... Not just the the narrative tone, but also the visuals were going to be a little uh, less mature than, mm-hmm. say, Rebels and the Clone Wars, and you definitely see that in this trailer. It kind of look, it looks very two dimensional, very flat, yeah, and very clean. It doesn't have the greasy look of a Star Wars underbelly. Yeah, and that's something that Rebels I thought did a good job of, even still. Yeah, like the Ghost, the ship that they're on is like it's not a fancy looking ship. It's it looks like it belongs in Star Wars inside and out. Yep. And everything with Rebels kind of did for me. I know some people didn't like the animation style, but I did. And I completely agree with you here. It just does not feel like Star Wars. No. Uh, the color is uh, it's popping and in your face. Well, it's very Disney, too. It's very uh-huh. brightly colored. They all, they all almost look like like Prince Eric. <laughs> you know what I mean? I guess I don't. I kind of think I know what you mean, but yeah. like there are yeah, there are some characters that are new aliens, and I'm, that annoys me because. Oh my God, Star Wars, stop it with so many new species. Yeah. Give us some more familiar species and right. build out those cultures more. Right. Every time you make a new character, they don't have to be an all new species. Yeah. And like some of them are really stupid looking. Sure. Yeah. Some of the new ones that they showed, maybe there have been species that have been in other things in Star Wars that just were like super background characters, but I don't know. They look weird, some of the, the characterizations in that regard. It does look pretty childish. Uh, it's interesting what they do with these shows is a lot of the, like Rebels, for example, it ages with the audience. Yes. So, for example, if their target viewer for the first season of Rebels was like 7 to 10-year-olds, their target by the end of the series was 11 to 15-year-olds. Right. 
Uh, Which is good. Yeah, it's good. And they they age with those, and you can very clearly see, like, the first season of Rebels is not nearly as dark as the second season. The second season, third season, and fourth season are much darker. But Disney is is the network that implemented that rule that all shows should only run for, like, 50 episodes because you're your demographic is aging and that's what gives me a little bit of hope because i think this is going to be a really short-lived show okay um it's says that the and they think they took this down uh but it says that it takes place six months before the force awakens okay and if that's the case i don't know how they can do any more than two or three seasons i don't know you can tell a lot of story in a very little amount of time yeah but there's going to be a time limit on it like rebels four seasons was four years And I know the Clone Wars, like they had seven seasons or six seasons, sorry. And that's only supposed to take place over a couple of your time span as well. But I don't know. I think it's for not having a Jedi presence uh, or potentially even a Force user presence. Kylo Ren might be in it. Who knows? Uh, I'm not super excited about this. I'll watch it. But uh, it's got me a little worried that this might be a new piece of canon that I may not need to see. But at the same time, it's lack of Force may not make it that necessary to overarching stories right so we'll wait and see nothing wrong with kids having more star wars content because i'm sure i would have loved it if i was six they're not going to make a show that has a bunch of reveals in it that the big star wars fans are going to need to see if it's not for those big star wars fans well and and that's the thing that's kind of weird is because rebels has that and a lot of people missed that because Rebels' first season was a little bit younger and then so people never, never went back to it right and that's what i don't want them to do with resistance is habits where the show develops into something where there are so many cool intricacies to the Star Wars lore, but because it's so damn childish at the start, everybody abandons it. No, this just kind of looks like the BB-8 show. It's just going to be like a, a Porgs and BB-8 thing. I think it's probably going to be a two, max three season, like you just said, the BB-8 show and right. this new kid, Kazuto Ziono. Yeah. Yeah, there's a little description here as well. Uh, we're thrilled to bring you Intel in the first episode. Uh, in a one-hour premiere, the recruit, Poe and BB-8 assign Kaz to the Colossus, where he meets a cast of colorful new aliens, droids, and creatures. While undercover to spy on the growing threat of the First Order, Kaz works as a mechanic and lives with Poe's old friend, Jaeger, a veteran pilot who operates a starship repair shop run by his crew, Tam, Niku, and the battered old astromech, Bucket. Okay. Uh, it premieres on October 7th, and uh, yeah, so the Colossus is a massive refueling platform on an Outer Rim ocean-based planet. All right. So it seems pretty cool, actually, the notion of the Colossus. It seems very Camino-esque, but very sunny as opposed to raining. Uh, I would love to see something like that in uh, Star Wars like live action. Yeah. I would love more water back in. I thought that was great with Octu. I love Camino. Uh, Camino's cool, yep. Yeah. Uh, Camino's lacking some coloration. Sure it is, but no, I think that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, it is. I, I think that one falls just in the fact that it's Attack of the Clones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just not a great movie. True. So so few people even think about it or intend to watch it. But. All right, is that all we got? Yeah, that really is. Not a whole lot going on this week. If you want to be caught up to us by next week, watch the first hour of Star Wars The Phantom Menace. Uh, and in the meantime, if you have any thoughts on this week's podcast, please tweet us at Recorder66 or email Recorder66Podcast at gmail.com. Rate and review on iTunes. Leave us the max stars so we can be seen in other people's recommendations. And then there's a greater Recorder66 community than there already is. <laughs> Which is not saying much. These are your steps into a much larger world. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. <laughs> and until we are together again, may the Force be with you. Force be with you.